I want to, uh, I'll start the sermon with a, an analogy that, uh, that I think will work. Uh, almost everyone's familiar with the idea of a resume. Um, resume, if you want a job, you fill out a resume, you say how wonderful you are, all the great things you've done, all the education you have, how great you were at all these other jobs, why your knowledge, skills, and abilities fit with what's wanted, maybe most of it's even true, and you know, you get this thing, and then you submit it, and hopefully the hiring people, the hiring panel looks at you, the clouds part, the ray of light shines down, and you just rise to the top because you are qualified to, to earn this position. You deserve this position, the best qualified person. Um, a resume is a claim that we're qualified for something. Paul's going to talk about righteousness. Righteousness. And when it comes to righteousness, it's a churchy word. Uh, it's an important word, but it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to wrap our minds around it because it's just become a real churchy word because it's been around for a while. You can think of righteousness, your righteousness, as a, a resume. Righteousness is the, the, the claims we make about, um, about whether we're qualified to be part of God's family or not. So we have our own idea of righteousness, and then God has his idea of, of our righteousness. So we, we make our own resume, and we say, this is, um, this, is, this is how I think I'm qualified. And God looks and says, no, this is actually how you're qualified. The way the resume thing, the reason why I started with this is with God, no matter who you are, uh, our impulse is to do what we do with everything else in life. We bring a resume and we claim that somehow or another we're, we're qualified to be part of God's family. That's what Paul, Paul was trying to show how wrong that is with, from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 20 with those three types of people who each in their own way are trying to establish their own righteousness apart from the gift that's offered through Jesus. And what Paul is saying is in this whole section, uh-oh, I spent all this time, the X is supposed to just float in. Come on, whatever. <laughs> what Paul is saying, I did fix that. Anyway, what Paul is saying is the resume is not going to work. Whatever it is that you bring to the, to the table, hoping that it will get you something with God, None of that's going to work. You're never going to be qualified enough. If you want a job, you can go online and look for a job. A few years ago, I was searching for other investigations management jobs in state government, and I saw that the Department of Financial Institutions was hiring for a, a director of investigations and enforcement. And I was like, this is outstanding. But because DFI is a bunch of weird people, they only like, they only like to hire lawyers. So it said I had to be a lawyer. To, to fill this position, which is ridiculous. I've watched all the episodes of Matlock. I don't need to know law school. So, um, so I'm like, uh, ridiculous. So I wasn't qualified, but I could become qualified. I could go to law school if I wanted. Then I can apply to a whole bunch of jobs doing investigations and enforcement if I have a law degree. But I could get there. With God, what Paul's been laboring to talk about and what he's going to say here in this passage is that you ain't going to get there. You, you can't get there, no matter who you are. You're not, there's no credential, there's no degree, there's no thing you can do to be qualified to, to earn a place in God's family. And yet we keep trying. 
And what Paul is, wants us to get is that we don't have to try because it's, it's not going to work. Instead, we could just accept the free gift that's being offered in Jesus. You can't be good enough, but Jesus has been good enough for you. Do you want this righteousness from God that's available to you? And that's what Romans chapter 3 um, is about. Uh, chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. We're actually going to go through verse 31, but really Romans 3, 21 to 26. This might be the most important paragraph uh, ever written in human history, and it's almost certainly the most important one in the Bible. It sums up everything in a really, really succinct and neat way. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. So everything that I've been saying as we've gone through these three representative groups of people, everything I've been saying in the book of Romans pretty much comes from what's right here and then what's explained further through the rest of the letter. But this is probably the most important paragraph in the whole Bible because everything about what Jesus has done, it's all right there, ready to be ready to be taken out, looked at, thought about, prayed over, examined. It's all right here in this concentrated form. You know, you get the orange juice from the store, the concentrate, and you put it in the thing and you add all the water and stir it up and this little tube of concentrated orange juice becomes, poof, this huge thing of orange juice. This is the gospel concentrate. It can, it, everything is here. It's all condensed. It's all very succinctly stated, and that's what we're going to look at today. So we'll be in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31, and uh, let's see what the Bible says. And I want us to leave here, uh, I want us to leave here today really understanding what Jesus has done for us in a, in a deeper way than we've really appreciated before. If you're not a Christian, I want you to, to see what Jesus has done for you in the, in the plainest way that I can, hopefully the plainest way that I can make it sound. And if you are a Christian, I hope that you'll, you'll appreciate more what Jesus has done for you in a, in a deeper way than perhaps you had when you got in your car to come here this morning. That was true for me as I studied the passage, and I hope it can be true for you as well. So let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll dive into the text. So let's do that. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to really know and understand what your Son has done for us according to your will and help that to change our lives either for salvation or for uh, toward us loving you in a deeper and more meaningful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses, verse 21. Paul says this, so he's talked about all three groups of people, and then last week in my little homily, my sermonette that lasted 10 minutes, I said, Paul's point is, doesn't matter who you are, everyone is in trouble. Doesn't matter who you are, everyone is in trouble. You can't get there on your own. We all try and get there in different ways, but whichever way it is, it's not going to work. And so he says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law. So think of the, the law as he's using it here is whatever the thing is that, that, you're, that you're counting on to, to make things all right. If you're the unbeliever who just doesn't care about God and God doesn't mean anything to you, it's, it's whatever, whatever the thing is that is like the center of your life. Whatever the thing is that, that just animates you. 
um, that's not going to work. If you're the if you're the person who likes to think of yourself as a good person who do, who does all these good things, the 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 moralist person, the one who who just thinks of themselves as a good person who grades on a curve and says, I'm, I'm a good person because I'm not like these people. And you, you do things, nothing with Jesus, but it's you, you, you do things to be a good person. You work at the, you donate it to, you donate to the food pantry. You bring stuff for the school and pile it on the table over here. You do all these things. Jesus isn't the foundation, but you do the things that's not going to get you righteousness. That's the resume is not good enough. Then there's the religious person who, doesn't seem to know that a relationship with God is based on love. And instead, it's just, I do these things and God gives me this. I do all this stuff. I get the cookie at the end of the race. I do my chores. I get my ice cream after dinner. I, I do all the things God wants and I get rewarded. Religious person who actually doesn't know Jesus at all. No matter, no, so no matter who you are or whatever, whatever the thing, whatever the law is that, that you're counting on, Paul says, uh, but now, apart from that, the righteousness of God has been made known. So if you try hard and if whatever it is doesn't work, there is a righteousness that God, is, that God can give you that, that he's made known. He's made it clear. He's telling you about it. To which the law and prophets testify. Meaning this, this isn't a new thing. All of scripture is about, is, is, is sort of orienting around the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Everything's pointing to Jesus and the family community he's making with his good news. Everything's pointing to it. The law and the prophets point to it. Paul's not making up a new thing. It's always been the thing. It's just been messed up by Jesus's day. So Paul is trying to clear the debris, clear all the stuff, you know, off the off the table and get people to see that this has always been the plan. This righteousness that you can't earn, but that's being offered. It's always been what all of scripture is about. Just like in any big city, there's this ring road interstate that you can use to detour around the city and all the roads seem to just coalesce like a bathtub drain funneling toward the city. And if you miss your exit and you have to go through in downtown, you're like, no, because of all the traffic. It's everything in scripture is funneling toward the cross, the empty tomb, the ascension, all of it. So Paul says, there's a, there's a righteousness of God totally separate from whatever it is you've been counting on. And it's been made known. The law and the prophets, they've all talked about it. It's here. He says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You don't have to work. You don't have to earn points. You don't have to... You can have the righteousness without bringing the baby wipes for South Bay Elementary. Uh, it's not dependent on that. You brought 10 packages of baby wipes, so you're more righteous than the person who brought none. That's, not, that's nothing to do with that. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You don't have to work for it. You simply have to have faith and believe in Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. That this trust, this allegiance, this pledge of, of love and, and loyalty. Believe and trust in Jesus and what he's done for you, which is what Paul's going to talk about. 
if you believe and trust in that, you can have Jesus' righteousness since your resume isn't going to do it. It can't do it. So if you're relying on your resume, the, these list of reasons why I'm better than this person, these list of reasons why I'm a good person, these list of reasons why of all the things I've done, Paul wants you to shred that resume and trust in Jesus' resume instead. You're not righteous, but he's been righteous for you. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, between the religious people who should know the message and people who know nothing about the message. There, there's no leg up. There's no um, grading on a curve. There, there's no um, uh, secret answer key that some people have that you don't have. Everyone's in trouble. No one's resume is good enough. Anyone can have God's righteousness if they trust in Jesus. Anybody. doesn't matter who you are. And that's what, that's what Paul really wants us to get. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all in trouble, and each of us just needs to have faith and trust in Jesus, who's going to give us his righteousness. And then there's the famous verse in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's one of those passages all the kids memorize in Awana. It's one of the passages everyone, every Christian who's been a Christian for any length of time knows everyone's a sinner. Everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. And verse 24 and 25 are the heart of what he's going to talk about. So let's think about what he's saying here together. This is the gospel concentrate I mentioned. Everyone's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how does this work then? Why does it work? How does it work? You know, it's, it's not enough to say, to give the Sunday school answer, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. What does that mean? What does it do? Why does it matter? So that's, this is the concentrate part. So I'm going to work through this, this verse, um, little phrase by phrase, as you can see on the screen. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified freely. What's it mean to be justified? It's one of those churchy words. Everyone knows it's good, but what's it mean? What's it mean that you, you're justified by faith? What's it mean? What's justified mean? What? What's that? Okay, so it, it's, like a, it's like a courtroom thing. It's like... Jesus, God declares you innocent. We are just, we're declared innocent freely. What's it mean that we're declared innocent or we're, we're, we're declared right with God? God just says, says Fred is, it, Fred is, is the slate's wiped clean. Fred is declared innocent. Even though Fred is guilty, he's declared innocent anyway because someone's Someone's paid the price for him, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Fred's been declared innocent by God. What does it cost? What's the second word? Justified what? Freely. And it means just like what it sounds like. The Greek doesn't mean anything different. It's, it's free. It, it not something you earn. It's not something you earn. You can be justified freely. Whoever you are. It's not... You can be justified if you bring the 10 packets of baby wipes to South Bay Elementary 
or five baby wipes and five Kleenexes, you know, whatever it takes to get to 10, then you're good. It's no, you, you can be justified freely, freely. So shred your resume. Your resume is not good enough. There's someone who's, who's offering to declare you innocent freely. It's not really freely because it cost God something to be able to offer this, but it's free for you. How does God do that? How does he do it? Justified freely by his grace. How and why is this free for us? So what's it mean that we're justified freely by his grace? What does that mean? By his grace. What is it that, what is it that declares us innocent? His grace. So what's, what's that? If you want to describe to someone, what is it? What is this grace? What, it, what is it? You could say it's um, Jesus's love. His love. It's like, it's like his grace or his love is like this active force that goes and declares you innocent and you innocent and you innocent and, and us innocent. It's Instead of grace being this abstract thing in a book, it's like a it's like a um, a living a living force that goes to people individually and declares them innocent. And I think you can see this grace justified freely by His grace as as God's love. This this love that that goes to each person who believes in Jesus and declares us innocent, justifies us freely. John 3.16, which is another one of those verses that everyone knows. Why did God give his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Because he loved the world so much. God's love is this, this agent that goes out. His love, his grace is an agent, a living agent, that essentially just goes out and declares us innocent freely. Cost God something, but it doesn't cost you. It doesn't cost you. It doesn't rely on your work. doesn't rely on your resume. doesn't rely on the whatever credentials that might or might not be true that you put on there. Um, it, it's free to you. It's being offered free to you. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption is another one of these are all churchy words that have lost sort of what they mean. What's redemption mean? Who knows what redemption means? Who, who, who can take a stab at what, what does it mean? What is redemption? We've been, we've been justified freely. That's great. His grace is the thing that, that goes out and does it, uh, but it does it by means of this, this redemption. What's redemption? What's it mean? Okay, paid the price. That's, that's what it means. I, you need to picture a ransom. That, 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 that's what the word's getting at. Picture a kidnapper who's holding someone hostage. You know, he gets on the phone and says, if you want to see your loved one again, I need $10 million. You know, that's sort of a bad movie sort of thing. The, the, the kidnapper demanding a ransom. Jesus, in Mark 10, 45 and other places, depicts himself as, as, as a ransom that's given to a kidnapper in this, in, in this imagery. Redemption means a price that's paid to a kidnapper. 
It's, it's, it's that, that imagery. We've been justified freely by his grace, by his love, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus has paid a price to a kidnapper and then secured our freedom. The person who's being held captive can't get away. I know that sometimes happens in the movies and in real life, but in, in the cosmic realm, we're not going to get away. Someone from without has to pay a ransom to secure our release in this, this imagery. And that's what happens. So these three things, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All these three things are part of this, this gospel concentrate that you can add tons of water to and, 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 and delve deeper into, but, it, but it's all right here. God can declare every single one of us innocent in his court of law. He can do it freely. It doesn't depend on your effort, your credentials, your resume. Your resume can't be good enough anyway. Uh, he does it uh, by his grace and his love. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So it's, it's, his love is this, this force, this agent, essentially the Holy Spirit going out and saving you and saving you and, and, and um, declaring you innocent. And his love makes this happen by, by ransoming us back, buying us back in this analogy from Satan, who's pictured as our kidnapper who's holding us hostage. But how exactly does the ransoming, how's the ransom, what's the payment, right? Is it the $10 million? What is the payment? That's what verse 25 talks about. How does the ransoming happen? God presents Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. If you have the King James Version, it might say a sacrifice of atonement or propitiation by faith in his blood. It's not faith in his blood. It's a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And if you want to know more about, I'll talk about it, but the book of Hebrews, verse chapters 1 through 11, is really about that exact thing. So you can read more there. But this is how the ransoming happens. This is all based on the Old Testament object lessons of the you sin instead of you paying for it. You bring an unblemished animal of some sort from your flock. You cut the animal's throat. The blood pours out. The priest catches the blood and then atones for your sin on the altar which sounds really weird to us, but all of this is an object lesson for what Christ would do. So I'll leave the old covenant behind and leave that for another day and just talk about what does it mean? Does anyone's Bible version say propitiation instead of atonement? These, these, these big words, okay? Um, God, I'll just use the NIV. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. What does that mean? Atonement, it does two things. They seem like the same thing, but they're like a little bit, a little bit different. It removes sin and satisfies justice. So think of someone who does something awful. It doesn't matter what it is. Think of just some awful crime that's been committed in this country uh, that you can think of uh, that deserves some appropriate prison sentence. 
after, if the person do, is convicted and does go to prison and then gets out of prison, if everything actually works the way it should, uh, and the person gets out of prison, the person's guilt has been removed, their sin has been removed, and justice has been satisfied at the same time. We might not think about it that way, but that's what happened when someone says, you know, the person has paid his debt to society. I know he did that, but he spent X number of years in prison and it's over. You know, debt paid, move on, uh, reset, right? New beginning, I'm out, out of prison, new beginning, theoretically, new beginning. So there's this image of justice has been served because the right thing has been done, crime has to be punished, and the, 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 the stain has been removed theoretically, because you've, you've paid your debt to society. That imagery is what atonement means. As a flesh and blood person, Jesus does both of those things for us as our substitute, as our representative, as our champion. Jesus removes your guilt in a legal sense, and he satisfies justice because he doesn't forgive and forget. They're paid for. Your debt has been paid, justice has been satisfied. Both of them have been done. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, meaning his death. And Jesus did this, as the Gospels show us, because he wanted to. Jesus came and willingly was tortured and executed so that we could be free, so that we could have this declaration of innocence, so that we could be welcomed into his family. And how do we have it? To be received by faith. Paul's always stressing, you can't get there. So trust in Jesus, who's gotten there for you. He's already done it. Why reinvent the wheel, especially when your wheel isn't going to work anyway? And he keeps pushing that. This, in this book and in Galatians, he's always pushing that because we always want to come to God with a resume, with our credentials, with our years of experience, with our knowledge, skills, and abilities, with the stupid cover sheet that explains why we're the perfect candidate. We always want to come with all of that garbage. And Paul wants to say, shred it and throw it away because it's not good enough, but Jesus' resume is. So just follow along with him. Just fall in with him instead of trying to do it on your own. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Why all the trouble? Why the death? Why the blood? Why the sacrifice? Why Good Friday? Why can't God forgive and forget? Why did there have to be the sacrifice of atonement? Why did the Old Covenant point in a million ways with every single sacrifice that was offered? Why did it all point to this one event at the cross that's so important? What happened to just forgiving and forgetting? What, for those of you who have kids or who have grandkids, or work. So for anyone who's here listening to this, what happens when a parent or a workplace or an organization or, or whatever establishes rules and then ignores it when people break them and go against policy? 
What does that show you about the rules? They're stupid. They don't matter. No one cares. You don't take them seriously? I'm not going to take them seriously. Everyone wins. It's people realize the rules don't matter. The standards don't matter. The values don't matter. They're just empty words. They're fake. And everyone, everyone knows that if you've had kids. Everyone knows that if I have to tell you one more time, but then you never actually do the one, the thing. And so they just keep, you know, just, it doesn't go very well. God when he established the world back in Genesis, God has values, he has standards, he has a threshold. And the same thing is going to happen if he ignores us going against policy. Crimes have to be punished, guilt has to be cleansed, justice has to be served. Anything short of that is just, it's cheap. It diminishes God. It makes him a fake. Just like the parent who says, you know, if I have to tell you one more time, but then never actually does anything. Or... One political example is, uh, how many years ago was it? Maybe 10 years or so ago when the civil war in Syria was going on, when President Obama infamously said, you know, if the Syrian government uses chemical weapons against the rebels, that's the red line. And then if that happens, we're not going to take it and something's going to happen. So then the Syrians use chemical weapons against the rebels and Nothing. There was no, the, the red line was just talk. No, no one didn't do anything. Uh, I'm not, I don't care about the reasons. I'm just saying that everyone, uh, many people looked and they were like, so much for the red line must have been an invisible ink. You know, it, you can't take seriously. We understand that as parents, if you're in a leadership position, you say, if this happens, rah, and then it happens and you do nothing. Everyone's like, okay, scared. So it's, everyone understands that. Father, Son, and Spirit. So verse 25, God presented Christ as a sub. He did, sorry, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God had to demonstrate that he's just and that he's holy and that his standards mean something. That's why Christ had to, that's why he didn't just say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just forgive and forget. They had to be paid for. And his son volunteered to pay for them. So you don't have to. So I don't have to. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because he let things go for so long. He, he withheld judgment against the world for so long. In his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. But now, Jesus has come. He has suffered. He has atoned for sins for everyone who wants it. He did it. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, to show that he's righteous and good and that he does have standards and he's not cheap. He doesn't say, this is a red line and then ignore it. He, he does have a red line so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He came, Jesus came and suffered and died and the message goes out so God can be just and see justice done and on the flip side, so he can declare everyone innocent who just has faith in what Jesus has done for them. God is doing a two for one. I'm going to be just and show that I'm holy and punish sin, but I'm going to make my son's going to sacrifice himself so that 
You just have to believe in what he's done and I'll declare you innocent. It costs you no work, no effort, no, no, you don't have to get the credential to get in the family. I'm offering it to you and I'm only offering it because I have given so much of myself. I've given my only son to be able to offer this to you now because of love. And that's the gospel concentrate. Romans 3, 21 to 26. That's what Paul wants us to get. That's what Paul wants us to understand. No matter who you are, whatever it is you're counting on to get you there, to give you fulfillment, to give you peace, whether you're trying to get peace with God or whether you don't care about God and you're just living your own truth, whatever it is that you're counting on to, to help you get through life as your anchor, as your rock, as your thing, your center, it's not going to work. You need righteousness that God is offering. And he's offering it through Jesus. And that's what Paul wants us to see. And if that's true, then no matter who you are, no matter who you are, especially if you're a Christian, you have no reason to boast because you're not better than anyone. You're just a beggar who hap who, who, who's been shown where the food is. And our job is to go find other people just like us and show them where the food is also. Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. These are the works of the law. There's nothing to do with anything apart from the works of the law. That, that doesn't go anywhere. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish. It doesn't matter whether you're um, from Turkmenistan or Azerbaijan or Finland or Luxembourg. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, who your parents are, none of that stuff. Uh, you just need to trust in Jesus and what he's done for you. Verse 30, who will justify, there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Jewish or non-Jewish, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's what Paul wants us to understand and to really, really get. But none of this, that's where the X is supposed to float in. None of this, none of this is going to mean anything to you unless you believe that you need to be rescued. If you believe that your way is fine, none of this might be, that's very interesting, it's nice that I understand what you're saying, but I don't really care. This is not going to mean anything unless you really believe that your resume is not good enough. So whoever you are, your resume is not good enough. Your righteousness falls way short of the glory of God. You're in trouble. You can't fix it. All these other religions want to give you a path so you can go up the stairs to get to God. In the Christian story, which is the real story, God knows we can't get up the stairs, so he's come down the stairs to bring us up. He comes down the stairs to grab us and take us up to be with him, because we're not going to get there. All the other religions are about ascending to get to God. The Christian story, God has come down to get us and bring us home. It's not the other way around. You'll only want this free gift of righteousness from God if you really understand that nothing else is ever going to work. 
So Paul wants you to shred your resume, whatever's on it, whatever the thing is that you highlighted in bold and maybe even put a, put a, put a fancy different uh, muted color on so people see it and it catches their eye, whatever the thing is that you're counting on, Paul wants you to shred the resume and trust in Jesus's resume instead because it's infinitely better than anything you can offer because what you have to offer isn't enough and it never will be. To close, I'm going to read hymn number 506 from the hymnal. The hymn is, we're not going to sing because then everyone would run away because I'm singing up here. I will read the lyrics from uh, hymn number 106, which is, I will sing of my Redeemer. This is what, this is what the lyrics say. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me on the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. I will tell the wondrous story how my lost estate to save in his boundless love and mercy he the ransom freely gave. I will praise my dear Redeemer, his triumphant power I'll tell, how the victory he giveth over sin and death and hell. I will sing of my Redeemer in his heavenly love to me. He from death to life hath brought me Son of God with him to be. Sing, O oh sing, of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. And that is what Paul wants us to get from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. And I pray that we do get it in our own way and that the Holy Spirit will apply this to our lives in a real way so it's not just something we hear and forget as we go to lunch, but it's something that sinks in our heart, impacts us, and changes the way we think and we live our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to love you more. Help us to appreciate who you are, your righteousness and our unrighteousness. And please lead us to know you for salvation, if we haven't already, and lead us to love you more because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.